0: I love this film and it's a little glimpse into an alternate dimension where George Lucas didn't have the huge Star Wars success and instead was more of a smaller independent, maybe even art filmmaker.
2: I really enjoyed it. I think the soundtrack is phenomenal. It's like it's from a different director. Like you could wipe that title card at the start and I could have been a, the biggest Star Wars fan ever, I've watched this film and I would have never have guessed that this was from the same guy. It's so, so good and it's just so different. It's so inventive um, and it, it feels, it feels so exciting to watch another universe that might
0: have been.
3: <laughs> Hello film fans, joining Watch today, we have Michael. Hello. Jake. Hiya. And as always, Kobe. Yep. And we are here to review American Graffiti. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills.
1: Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast, because it really does help us.
3: And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter
1: at FlixWatcherpod and on Instagram
3: at Flix Watcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flix Watcher podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Michael and Jake. If you could please say hello to the listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are, please.
2: Sure. Uh, I'm Jake. I'm a uh, podcast host and producer on the show Ghiblia Tech, which is a, a show surprisingly all about the films of Studio Ghibli, although we are, we're now branching out into uh, lots of other stuff as well. Uh, and I'm the co-author of the book, Ghibliatech, Tech, an unofficial guide to the movies of Studio Ghibli, uh, which I was lucky enough to write with this man.
0: Yes, I, uh, I wrote about 50% of that book sharing the credits, although I'm credited first. That was uh, something that I stipulated. Age before beauty. Yeah, I, I've
1: done a word count. I've done a word count to see who wrote more. And, uh, I just
0: don't want to embarrass Jake by doing a word count. <laughs> 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 I say I found it harder to fit to my uh, my, my word limit per chapter yeah it's a it's about quality not quantity isn't it michael come on that's mate. what you say yes it's been really fun doing the podcast over the years uh bringing jacob mm. to speed turning him from the padawan into the jedi master of studio ghibli and now writing this book which I, I suppose there are books about studio ghibli out there some amazing ones but perhaps not many that are pitched more towards just film fans and beginners um mm-hmm sort of what we do is we have chapter by chapter, film by film, a bit of historical background and then Jake's sort of expert film fan review. So that's our sort of Bible for turning more people into diehard Ghibli fans.
1: And it's, Ghibli, Ghibli is like amazing and I, I've not watched anywhere near as many as I should do and that's shocking, especially as it is freely available now on Netflix. Um, but it still seems to be a... Seems, there seems to be a roadblock for some people, for forgive me And I, I don't understand why that is necessarily. There's people, myself and hell no, maybe I wouldn't say people as one person, we know it doesn't like animation full stop, which still makes me sometimes, shakes me awake when I'm in deep sleep. Sometimes but I think there's people that don't like animation full stop. Um, and I've had friends who say they don't like the way Dupity looks. But for me, I look. I think it looks, every single film I think looks amazing. I just haven't got around to watching it. Um, so maybe there's a step of the people who there's more of me that needs to get around to watching more Ghibli films. How do we get people to watch more Ghibli films? I suspect it's read your book and listen to your podcast.
2: Well, I mean, so the, the the book is chronological through all of their films, but the podcast, uh, if you go to that, that was not in chronological order. That was curated in a way by Michael to help get me into the studio. Mm. Uh, so if you actually go back to the start of the podcast and the episode one is spirited away, so like a big hitter, it's the one that won the Oscar, followed by my neighbor Totoro which is another big classic um well beloved you've seen him cameo in Toy Story 3 and so like that and that's just our first six episodes kind of covering some of the really key text as well as some cult favorites um so i think yeah take the podcast journey uh, that's what got me into it so i can i said that michael michael built a good syllabus and i'd recommend other people follow it
0: yeah <laughs> and not to sort of undersell what we do the great thing about Studio Ghibli compared to, say, any other filmography you look at. So we're going to be talking about George Lucas shortly. He's a guy who, you know, half his films maybe aren't up to scratch, but half? <laughs> three quarters, <laughs> almost the entire output of Lucasfilm. Uh, just avoid it. Anything with him as producer that's not called Indiana Jones. Uh, but but the, with Studio Ghibli, they really made 12 five-star films and maybe maybe not 12, I'd say 10, four, or five, four and a half five-star films. I can check how many you logged as fine. So Jake is now referring if to less of time. But that's the thing I think that they have a run from the mid-late 80s all the way up to the mid 2000s and they have two filmmakers who are both both firing an all mm. cylinders working at the top of their game um doing very different things but you know working in in in, in concert with one another. So I think that compared to many of the filmographies really picking any film that catches your eye apart from the one or two that which Recommend you dodged. Um, you, you couldn't go wrong, really.
2: And a lot of them are fairly short as well. It's um, yeah. so like *Minor Bittero*, one of the best films ever made, less than ninety minutes. Go check it out. There's another
1: podcast for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's four main there's four main cartoon studio animation studios. I say that's kind of vying for our attention at the moment. Apart, I'm not going to include Disney on that. Uh, more auteur ones. You have Sony Animations, DreamWorks. Um, Pixar and Cartoon Saloon. Which one of those are you most excited about the next film from? Probably the one that we did a podcast series on. Um, <laughs> Cartoon Saloon. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, we went through all of their uh, feature works, and uh, they haven't made a bad film. They have made some superb films. They maybe made the best film of last year with Wolfwalkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so excited to see what they do next. Um, I think they're they're such an exciting presence, and um, yeah, they get kind of thrown this moniker of like the the new Ghibli or Ireland's Miyazaki, referring to the director Tom Moore, and they are they're very distinct and they've got their own look. But if anyone was to kind of carry that mantle, then I'd be happy for it to be them.
0: Yep, I would not disagree with that. They're also a studio, unlike Ghibli. So Ghibli, when they formed, was we're only going to do features. We're not going to sell mm. out and do TV series. But Cartoon Saloon do really good tv series as well i know kobe you've got a little one i don't know if you've been um exposed to the wonders of puffin rock yet that's on netflix it's just a wonderful i mean that's very ghibli-ish as well because it's about a a puffin siblings having very low stakes adventures on an island off uh, an an island off the coast of ireland and it's just absolutely lovely
1: i look forward to i look forward to that we're we're on uh gigantosaurus if we do anything on on netflix with him um (laughs) But anyway, we're here to talk about different films. Uh, yeah. Cartoon Saloon, magnificent. Uh, for me, it's a toss-up between them and Sony because they're both, they've only had two films and they've both been the best. Um, but Cartoon Saloon have had four films and they've been the best also. <laughs> I think Bedwin is genuinely one of the best films I've ever seen. And for an Irish company to do a film based out in, in, um, in, in an in, in, in Arabic-speaking world, based of those kind of um, settings, I think is perhaps more astounding than Wolf to be honest with you, the way they did that. Um, but Helen, sorry, have you got any thoughts? Pixar, Sony animations?
3: I'm probably not so hot on animations as you are. I haven't seen any of the Cartoon Saloon animations. That I've, I've kind of, like, missed them. and um,
1: We, had, I had, we look, had...
3: Yeah, so after Kevin... Yeah, not, came
1: not Kevin on. Yet. Kevin the end did um, Grubbers. It was um, did, Will Collins. Did Will do it? Yeah, yeah.
3: Will, Will. That's Collins. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a look, and their films aren't available to stream. I couldn't well, find them to stream.
0: Well, I know you're called Flix Watcher. I don't know if you uh, ever entertain other streaming services, but I think Song of the Sea, and Maybe the breadwinner's have gone off it now, but they were both on Prime Video at some point, and mm. and Wolf Walkers is Apple TV Plus, and actually their next feature is for Netflix, so it it'll it'll it, it'll all be on your radar eventually. But I know what you mean. Their first film, um, The Secret Cells, um, is it, it, one of those you have to go and actually buy a physical copy of. I don't think that's actually available to stream or rent.
3: Yeah, which is a shame because I would like to rectify this, but I haven't come across them quite as easily as i was probably expecting with you just kind of expect to between like the five subscriptions i've probably got going on that they they're there and it's like suddenly not available
1: it's probably probably done a bit on movie
3: yeah kind of feels a bit movie but yeah we'll see
1: Anyway, we we digress get people to check the book it's out now guys and now we're going to talk about um American Graffiti, which is Michael's choice. Michael, tell us why you chose it, and then give us a synopsis in a minute or less.
0: Gosh, why did I choose it? So I grew up a very strong Star Wars kid. My my life was very much defined by Star Wars up until the age of 12, 13, where the Phantom Menace ruined everything. Um, and <laughs> when I discovered, I mean, it's not a great discovery, it was a popular film, but when I discovered American Graffiti as a, at uni, suddenly I realised, oh wait, George Lucas at one point was a great filmmaker and he just lost his way for many many decades so that's one reason why I love this film I think it's a great new Hollywood film and it's a little glimpse into an alternate dimension where George Lucas didn't have the huge Star Wars success and instead was more of a smaller independent maybe even art filmmaker
1: and can you tell us the synopsis starting now
0: Well, there's a shorter, a long synopsis, so I'll do the middle-length one. This is One Night in Late Summer in Modesto, California. Small town, California, following the evening and early morning into the next day uh, with various intersecting storylines with a bunch of characters focusing on two, played by Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss, who are about to fly out that morning to start college.
1: Fair play. Uh, Jake, overall thoughts on American Graffiti. I think American Graffiti is
2: fantastic. Uh, what a, what a pleasure to watch this. What a great choice by Michael. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think the, the soundtrack is phenomenal and, um, something that I've been enjoying listening to in my own time, uh, in the days since watching this. And I think, yeah, as, as Michael says, it's like, it's from a different director. Like, uh, if you, you could wipe that title card at the start. And I could have been a, the biggest Star Wars fan ever. I've watched this film, and I would have never have guessed that this was from the same guy. Um, and I, yeah, as just as a as a piece of history, it's fascinating. Um, but as a piece of filmmaking, it's it's so so good, and it is just so different. It's so inventive, um, and it it feels it feels so exciting to watch another universe that might have been. <laughs>
1: Far, far, long time. I can't be bothered to the call. <laughs> um, I cannot be bothered. Helen.
3: So I, I think I may have watched this before, but a very, 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 very long time ago.
1: In a galaxy far, far away.
3: Sorry. I struggle a little bit with this film and I don't think it's this film in particular, but I think it's this type of film in that I I find it difficult to connect with a nostalgia that I never experienced. And I think that's what it is for me. There's there's moments in it where you can kind of see sort of his love of wanting to create innovative film, but on the level where I don't connect with the characters and I don't have a kind of like a feeling to that particular time that it's being nostalgic about. I don't get that. And... I think because quite also, um, I love reading letterbox reviews and quite a lot of the letterbox reviews sort of talk about this and its similarities to Dazed and Confused, which is another film I've watched recently and not connected with. So I think for the kind of same reasons. So I don't think it's a fault of this film. I think it's something that I'm not, I just difficult for me to kind of have feelings for something that I don't feel nostalgic for, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If it doesn't connect with you, I mean, like Lady Bird, for example, as a film, I get why it's good, but it wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. I loved Greta Gerwig. I love everything about the setup about it. But just when I watched it, I was like, God damn it, just didn't hit me in the way I wanted it to. Um, so I, I, I get that with, with things. And I'd still recommend Ladybird, obviously, because it, it has moved so many people. And I love Greta Gerwig to bits, like I say, and all these other pieces. Um, for me, this is, I wanted to love it but I just couldn't. And I think there was, the, there was the piece, I think Unrelatable Characters started to get in my craw a bit. And unlike Helen Knight, Days of Confuse is one of my favorite films. But I think I caught that at the right time. I, I, I first watched that when I was just about to go to university and me and my friends just had all these super long nights, just hanging out and being knobheads. And that that kind of tied in. We weren't driving around aimlessly, but you know, it was still that, that kind of phase of my life. And I can see obviously Rich Linklater has watched American competition and thought, yeah, I want to do that with my people. Um, and so I think it's a bit more punchy thing. What's I think, think a few things will happen, happen more than more interesting. Um, but then you also have films like, um, I like films that are over one, night, like warriors, uh, even through like super bad and, and, and book smart, where there's just the one night where things happen and tell the story. It's that overarching thing, I think, I really think it's a nice storytelling piece there, but I just didn't gel with Richard Cunningham aka uh, Ron Howard. Um I thought it was a bit of a dick. <laughs> um I didn't get what Richard Dreyfus was doing. Like saying good flip flopping between college and not. Um I quite like the 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 speed drag racing pieces and just kind of cruising around running a red light and then like hanging out for a bit. I kind of like that hanging out bit. But Richie and Richard Dreyfus, so I should say Ron and Richard, I kind of left a bit cold. And I think when you have something like this you need to be helped to hook into the
0: characters. Uh, and I, I, mean, I couldn't do that. Gosh, how do I even come back against the, the, against these now? Please. So I, I, I agree, Helen, sometimes I struggle with a nostalgia for a time that I wasn't present in. But I think I'd say what fascinates me about this film is that they're only making this film 10 years after the fact. And already you could tell how, how much the world had changed between 62, 63 In 72, 73, even with our sort of scant knowledge of pop culture history, this is just before Beatlemania happens, just before the graduate changes what American teenagers are. Um, but also, may, when rewatching it this time, what's wild to me is that if it's only 10 years after the fact, could you imagine anyone now trying to make a nostalgia movie for 2012, 2011?
2: <laughs> well, Michael, I've just got up the, um, the Billboard Top 10 for 2010, which would be uh, when this film would be set now if we were making it in 2021. And so imagine the soundtrack of TikTok by Kesha, uh, <laughs> California Girls by Katy Perry, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga and Dynamite by Tayo Cruz would all be appearing on uh, American Graffiti 2021. But-,
0: but, but that's also the thing that is so radical about a film like this is that it was really a risk for them to do that with the soundtrack. This was only shortly after films like The Graduate where they brought mm. in pop songs on soundtracks to be sold alongside the film. But also this is music that you know, had they had a sell by date. Circa 1960s, early 70s, the Beach Boys were dead in the water, and this release, along with you know Beach Boys and other bands and artists on the soundtrack, had something of a revival. And you wouldn't, you know, if we if you had Coldplay or Lady Gaga or something, they're still around now. It's a very different sort of thing. But that's getting into sort of the sociological, cultural stuff around this, which is a bit galaxy brain, which I do love about this film. But I suppose if the characters aren't immediately relatable, that's fair. I can't argue against that. But I do like. George Lucas's approach to this and and mm. the the screenwriters where they do just want this to be something like a documentary. They don't want to push the characters too far in a direction, really. They just wanted them to exist. And there is something quite, um, I, I'll say experimental with the fact that Richard Dreyfuss' character is just there, hands in pockets, just walking around town, just seeing who's there and just having a bit of a chat with them. You, you reference Richard Linklater in and Days of Confused. Of course, when that comes out, we've had... 20 years of teen movies Mm. that have come after American Graffiti when really the Richard Linklater movie I'd compare American Graffiti with would be his debut film, Slacker, which is just this hangout movie where we're just going to go and see some characters in one place and they'll come and say their piece and go off. And that's why this film, you know, with inflation makes hundreds of millions of dollars uh, across various re-releases. But at the heart of it is something so radical and experimental and structureless
2: yeah i mean when you think of how quickly a film will drop out of the cinemas now like if you don't have a good opening weekend you're you could be gone from cinemas in your first
1: week these yeah. days american graffiti stayed in cinemas for two years oh i can imagine i can 100 percent imagine it's one of those things that i completely see how this laid the foundation was a blueprint for teen movies going on mm-hmm. and i absolutely love it for that and i do like aimless stuff I, you know link wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for this because, um, you know, like walking around talking about just random shit mm. is something that perhaps didn't happen in films before then, before this. And I love it. For that. I love if we didn't have this, we wouldn't have the before trilogy. Exactly, Which yeah. I think is one of the, the pinnacles of walkie-talkie films.
0: Not, not to push the whole Easy Riders, Raging Bulls type narrative on this, mm. but the exciting thing about that new Hollywood generation is that they were both a product of the first wave of film school education and awareness of international world cinema, the French new wave, Akira Kurosawa, Japanese cinema, Ingmar Bergman. But they were also suburban American kids who grew up out of that first wave of suburbia. And George Lucas loses that. I mean, you can see elements of that in Star Wars, how really you know, Luke Skywalker is just a, a gearhead kid who just wants to get out of town. But American Graffiti is almost the perfect marriage of these experimental urges taken from French New Wave, the fact that they're shooting it on quite low grade, low budget camera stock, the fact that uh, they have Walter Murch on sound design, who's creating this sound tapestry where it's basically the entire soundtrack of the film as you watch it is one huge radio show punctuated by Wolfman Jack doing the interstitial bits.
1: You see then um, Quentin Tarantino using that in Reservoir
2: Dogs.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and you could like the cars in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the car sequences and that owe themselves to this. And, the and, way, the and Warriors the radio. also,
1: Warriors having that radio DJ over, yeah.
2: Uh, so, and, when, and when he was pitching it, he would, he would, he was saying like, it's a musical, but without songs.
0: That's a great way of putting it. So he has these, you know, very experimental ideas, radical ideas, but he wants to marry it to something very everyday, very real, very human of these characters and their sort of low stakes life where really the most i guess there are two spectacular moments in this where the police car gets its tires pulled off and then mm-hmm. there's the actual drag race at the end which doesn't re- I mean that the car gets flipped but it's not really it's hardly a pod race scene is it but um so so it, it is almost the, the perfect new Hollywood thing at the same similar time, Steven Spielberg coming around. you could really see this. I, I always puzzled me growing up when I'd see those pictures of Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese, George Lucas sitting together. I mean, you mean the Ewok guy is hanging out with the Mean Streets guy <laughs> and the Godfather guy? <laughs> how does that happen? And then there's the bl- blowout dressed to kill guy. So with this, you could see how they're all coming out of the same soup of influences and, and inspiration.
1: And, and those guys obviously then go into shape and make sure that Star Wars isn't a complete disaster. Well, um,
0: well, the, the uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls is a fascinating book, and no Peter Biskin sort mm-hmm. of it impl- puts a bit too much of his own reading on the characters of, behind the book and the psychologies of them. But it, it's always stuck with me how he said that George Lucas was somebody who loved working with people. And that's in this film, Haskell Wexler coming in, helping with cinematography. You've got to cut the profits. Marcia Lucas, his first wife, helping out on editing. He is a collaborator at heart, but what George Lucas does is create Skywalker Ranch and lives in a mansion in the middle of the desert (laughs) away from everybody else. And that's sort of how he's left at the end of Easy Rider's Raging Bulls in the mid eighties when he's sitting on his Star Wars millions saying, I really should make a small movie like American Graffiti* again. And he never does, which I find so fascinating but to get back to like the film i can very easily go off on the stories behind the films what i love love about teen movies and the sort of teen movie genre this one kicks off and it tends to happen in decade cycles so you have this film in the early 70s you have fast times at ridgemont high for the 80s dating and fuse for the 90s and then films like can't hardly wait at the end of the 90s and they basically introduce you to all the actors you're going to be watching for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And that's what's so great about American Graffiti, where, you know, we think we think we know Ron Howard now. He's o- a bit overexposed because of Happy Days and then as a filmmaker, but this is like him, his first adult role, Richard Dreyfuss. This is Ronnie Howard. Exactly. credited. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, w- yeah, because I, you know, when I first was Happy Days, I generally thought it was made in the 50s. <laughs> so where was this? <laughs> uh, when... Where was it in relation to Happy Days? I mean, Happy Days
0: is, is is riding the coattails of this film. And of course they hire okay. it's uh, Cindy Williams and Ron Howard off, off the back of this film, uh, who are both in it. And they just basically steal the idea of it and sure. take it to television and turn it into... Not only one long running TV series, but several spin offs with that 1950s yep, yep, nostalgia. Indeed. And I think that's yep. where it definitely gets overplayed and becomes a bit stereotypical yep. and uh, plays into what Helen was saying about nostalgia that we don't care for. But between Ron Howard uh, and you know, um, Richard Dreyfus, who's only a couple of years away from Jaws, I do also love seeing Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, at the time when he was seriously considering quitting acting and just being a carpenter for the rest of his life mm-hmm. <laughs> he was brought into this this uh to play this role and he said i'll only play this role if you if i don't have to cut my hair which is a weird stipulation <laughs> to make
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting seeing him kind of play a very unlikable character because we obviously grew up with him as indiana jones and han solo so to see him kind of starting out like this and be kind of like pretty dark is is really interesting because I think that's sort of what people mostly sort of say about the performances is that you know it's, it's his early one and it's one of that but really it is um, Richard Dreyfus really and he's just kind of so interesting in this he's probably the most interesting character for me in this and I probably could have spent more time with him rather than some of the other characters but he's just kind of got this weird sort of twitchy energy to him. And he's sort of the one that we get kind of like the, I'm not really sure about the kind of the the ending, like the the where are they now kind of endings <laughs> for the fictional characters. It kind of feels a little bit strange, but he's kind of the one you want to, the, the one I was like, oh, okay. I think that's good that I found out how we ended up or maybe I would have liked it to have been a mystery. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure well, about you- the ending. I haven't decided. On that ending,
2: because you've got two, what? Um, one character uh, dies in a car crash. One is missing in action in Vietnam. One stays in the town and becomes an accountant. And then Richard Dreyfuss goes to Canada and becomes a writer. And I think R- Richard Dreyfuss is definitely the one that's like kind of the most humanized and most rounded and has the best adventure. And so you can see George Lucas definitely investing much in him because George Lucas was the suburbanite who wanted to get out of town. And so when those end cards come up. I'm thinking, so George Lucas is saying, if you don't leave your hometown, you're either going to be boring or dead.
0: Uh, (laughs) But I I think that ending is his attempt to puncture the nostalgia because he knows what's coming. He knows that in whatever they do, whether they get out of town or not, they're all going to try and get drafted. I guess Richard Dreyfuss dodges the draft by going to Canada. There is a really funny trivia thing about this. So George Lucas is... um, notorious for tinkering with his movies after being released after they've released is he yeah, exactly <laughs> um so they've made the sequel to this more more american graffiti in 78 78 later in the decade and it's a, kind of seen now as a bit of a cash-in but what they do is they retell the story of how john milner dies um and to the point where when they re-released american graffiti they had to change the end card for him and change the month of the car crash (laughs) (laughs) this little tweak that george lucas had to make um to to make things sync up with the sequel but i do think that that end card because there's also um a lot out there about how and this is a flaw of the film, well, I will level at it. Um, it's not as interesting the female characters as the male characters, although I do think all of the women are amazing and they have some, most some of the standout sequences and performances are from the female characters.
1: Think, and with the end cut, I was... I was... Kind of disappointed there's no female characters in the end
0: card. I think George Lucas was was uh, criticised for that at the time, and he said in interviews yeah. that he wanted that end card to be like the, the the punctuation point at the end. And if he had it been mm. two or two or more, it might have got a bit long. Uh, that sounds a bit like a cop out excuse to me, but um, it sounds like it's yeah. Funny. But every other film that it follows in its wake does make sure that everyone has their their end card moment. Do
1: you want to say anything else, guys, before we head to the score? Should we? do a brief pressy on George Lucas as to whether he's a is he a good filmmaker I think if you, if based on this film yes <laughs> I think we we need to see a pattern though don't we everyone can have their their rookie year and smash it out of the park well and sophomore effort in, in Star Wars but so, if you were to say now a new George Lucas film's coming out next year how excited would you be to see it I'd be so excited <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if I'd be,
2: I'd be excited about the guarantee of a perfect film but Christ I think everyone would be excited for a new George Lucas film because uh, you don't know like maybe in the vein of this it could well be a big car
0: crash <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair play. I think when I went and rewatched all the Star Wars films a few years ago the first Star Wars film doesn't tend to, you know a new hope as it's known but when it was released it was just Star Wars um, people think tend to think that, that was a good solid film, but Empire Strikes Back is the great one. What I love about Star Wars is the fact that it is a piece of pop art and it is colliding all these ideas. It's not really trying to create a big mythic world. It's not trying to create a lore or mythos. It's just, what if Kurosawa, Western, Gearhead, Kid, all these things all in one film? And I think that his first three films, THX 1138 and American Graffiti and Star Wars, Uh, the work of a filmmaker who is a great pop artist who is coming out of film school, but also has this great love of pop culture that he's drawing from. He gets a bit more of that back when he's working with Spielberg on the first Indiana Jones movies, but he's a different filmmaker from Empire Strikes Back on. Once he's becoming the dream weaver, um, he's a different filmmaker. And it's just another
2: George Lucas point. I was wondering whether um, the little, the gear, gear shift in Mandalorian was picked up from american graffiti uh, because oh, like, yeah,
1: the, with, the, with 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 baby it, i was thinking yeah, that yeah um,
2: and i wonder whether like whether that was a conscious thing looking back on this um, uh, just a
0: little wink to the lucas fans out there <laughs> can i can, can i say say one last thing about harrison ford which, I've, so, yeah. which I looked, you know, as I was watching this time, I was looking him up. So I never realised that Harrison Ford is a couple of years older than George Lucas. That's just how old, we, oh, we don't really? think Harrison Ford is, he's like at least 15 years older than you think he is because he was already 35, I think, by the time Star Wars came out.
1: Oh really? Okay, hold on. That's only seven years younger than me. Still got that. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: um and he'd already lived like a whole other life and had several careers. But what's crazy to think about it in that way, I know that his character, Falfa, when he turns up, is meant to be an adult. But even if that that guy's meant to be in his early twenties, Harrison Ford, even with a ten-year gap between the you know the nostalgia gap, he's still older than all the characters in that film.
1: <laughs> yeah. But we have the um Back in back in those days, I mean Greece, for example, those kids there, Stockard Channel was like thirty something. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> um playing that. So I think that's that's just how you did it then, wasn't it?
0: You had the- I think I think Ron Howard was legitimately quite young. And um yeah. and and who else? Charles Martin Smith, I think this was one of his first roles, he was still quite young. There is a alternate universe where that's Bob Balaban. I know one of your favorite favorite actors jake or at least a a, a a face you like to see in films
2: oh absolutely yeah love a bit of Bob.
0: balaban <laughs> turned it down and then regretted it for the rest of his career he said right, yeah well, but go. then he got to
2: be in close encounters so it worked
0: out exactly yeah
1: right let's head to the scores guys
0: I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
3: Welcome to the Watcher scores, all of the scores out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish, and we will start with you, please, Michael, with your recommendability.
0: Absolutely five, because I think it has that um, great hook for a recommendation, which is you may think, you know, this filmmaker, you may think that, oh, George Lucas, he's the guy that does Star Wars and, you know, the prequels and everything else. But did you know he actually made this film beforehand that was nominated for best picture that got him all sorts of acclaim and changed the face of teenagers on the big screen? I think there's something delicious about that recommendation. That's uh, pretty strong. So five.
2: Jake. I'll probably go for a four um, just because I, I'd, I'd want to know who I was recommending this to
0: uh,
2: before I recommended it. Whereas I think a five is a pretty populist thing where you could kind of just shove it in front of anyone uh, and they're going to go with it. Whereas uh, I think you, you, if you can curate your selection here, uh, I think you need to, but I think it's very good. So yeah, got to be a four. Helen,
3: Yeah. So it's, it's not really a film for me. And there'd be definitely a very, very specific group of people that I'd recommend it to. I don't think it's probably got broadish appeal, but for anyone who's kind of interested in kind of cinema of that era. So you know, any fans of Scorsese, Coppola, you've kind of got to go to the beginning to see where they started out and get a feel for what they were trying to do when they first laid kind of their hands on a camera. So although it's kind of not really for me, I'm kind of glad I've seen it and a lot of things make sense. So I'm going to give it a 3.8.
1: A lot of things make sense. I'm going to go for 3.5. As I've said many times here before, the recommendability for me is... A five is I can just say, you've not seen Back to the Future. What the hell are you playing at? Go and see it right now. Stop anything you're doing. I don't know who you are, but you're wrong. But yeah, the more caveats you have to build into it, the more the recommendability goes down. And with this, I love the idea of saying to someone, oh, this is George Lucas's early films. This leads on to this, this, this. But I think we sometimes forget that, you know, us four here and many of the people, a few the people know we kind of surround ourselves by other cinephiles and cineasts who are happy to think I'll, to happily hunt down george luke's early works because that's the kind of person we are but for, for the vast majority of people that isn't the case and underlying that is a film is a story which i think isn't as isn't as strong as i'd love it to be so yeah 3.3.5
0: this was a massive popular movie in its day it and it's so day, though, that much thing... money also back to the future come on back to the future is half a riff on American Graffiti, all of its 1950s sequences were uh, definitely indebted to this film, would not exist without this. In fact, when um, they were talking about the sequel to American Graffiti, George Lucas wanted Zemeckis to direct it. And Zemeckis said, nope, I'd rather have Marty McFly go back in time and potentially have a romance with his mum. Ooh,
2: but when when you um, see Robert Zemeckis's I want to hold your hand, you can totally see why he would want to get him to do American Graffiti Mm. because want to hold your hand is just like, American Graffiti vibes, but the Beatles, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, repeat
1: the end score.
0: Michael. I'd say five because of the very structure of it. There's something that you may pick up differently every time, and for me, there's one element that really hit me this time around which is the sequence all the way through you've been hearing wolfman jack on the radio as this sort of mystical figure that's been turning on all the kids to them this music the power of am radio from the 1950s how omnipresent it is but also how powerful the music is in the shaping of their lives the soundtrack of their lives and then richard Dreyfus, because he's been chasing this character this white t-bird the woman in the white t-bird all the way through he goes to the station to put out a shout out to her and there's the this beautiful sequence where it's about mystique and the role pop culture plays in our lives. And almost this Wizard of Oz moment, really, the man behind the curtain who is Wolfman Jack. And it's something so poetic, the fact that um Richard Dreyfus gets to see that where, of course, the guy's there with his melting popsicles and sticky fingers and says, Ah, oh, it's not me, you know, the Wolfman, he's this this figure who's flying, you know, going around town, going around the world, finding his music. And then you just get that little glimpse of the magic of the guy on the microphone who's different from the guy off mic, and as people who speak into microphones all, all the time, I think there's something quite powerful about that for <laughs> us. Jake,
2: I think I'm going to go with a four on this. This is my second or third time watching the film, and I I find like, it's it's so rich uh, in detail. I, I think like it's it's such a woozy film to watch, and you can just get lost in it, and you can pick up new things, and because you're not too invested in the plot. And it's more about that atmosphere you can drift off into the corners of the screen and see what other stuff is going on and there's such a pleasure in that this time i was so swept up in the dancing when they're at the hop and the camera's kind of at hip level and it reminded me of some of the sequences in northern soul or even last year's lovers rock uh and like you totally feel like you are dancing with them and it's that energy and that that kind of like the raucous kind of sexy dancing that would have like made the suburban housewives just scream into their pillow because they were so afraid of what might be happening at the hall downstairs and we're kind of right in that Uh, I found so exciting but who knows what I'll get out of it next time but I'm sure I will so yeah I'll I'll go for a four again because I'm not sure that all viewers would be so kind of swept up in it that they'd be wanting to go back to this world in such a jiffy as I would Helen.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be less I'm gonna be quite a bit lower on this one. Probably unlikely that I'd revisit it. There'd probably be need to be some kind of like slightly bigger occasion for me to return back to this one. So I'm gonna one and a half.
1: Oh Michael, a dagger to your heart. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so repeat being score for this. I've seen it twice. I think the first time I didn't know what it was called. Um and I was just like <laughs> Hold on, is that Harrison Ford and Rich Cunningham? Um, uh, and then you can just kind of watch the film and I always remembered it, and then for some reason they just hadn't got round had not got around to watching it. And this is why, you know, Netflix is awesome for for a film that you, you haven't been bothered to track down or is difficult to find. And then suddenly it's there and you're like, Oh, awesome. And I referenced this when we did our book smart episode of this, you know, the story of one night film. And I saw that this had just come out, so I was excited to watch it. But I don't think I'll I'll watch it frequently. Whereas, you know, days confused, I'll watch once a year, this will be once. If it's on Netflix forever, I'll watch it then once every couple of years. I reckon, yeah, maybe less than that. So I'll go for two point five.
0: Small screen score, Michael. I think this is a great small screen film. I have seen it on the big mm. screen. It is a film that a friend of mine.
1: Was it? Was it at a drive-through?
0: Oh no, that would be really interesting, right? I had, mm. I've had terrible experiences at drive-throughs. Um, I think I what did I see? I saw Lock at a at a at a, a drive-in cinema. <laughs> Um, that's such a that's good idea in theory, so in theory. theory. So in so. <laughs> and it was it was in um trafford park um in, in, in greater manchester and it was a weird one because you had to sort of it, back in the day they'd have you know it's it was different technology now because you had to use a bluetooth thing to beam in and you realize that actually the sound system isn't very good in a drive-in nowadays but i saw um american graffiti it's a cinema that my, a friend rented out for their birthday and it's it's a, it's a good one but i also think it's a great small screen movie the the this, this viewing that really made me fall in love with this film was actually like a half-twelve, half-past midnight screening on Film 4 years ago. And they showed it in a double bill with Dazed and Confused, and it is a film to watch alongside these other films if you wanted to do it with Fast Times at Richmond High as well. They do complement each other really well and are in in dialogue with one another too. So I I think this is a film that works really well on the small screen. Maybe on the big screen, you might be able to get more of an impact from the the soundtrack, but I'm going to give this a four for small screen.
2: Jake? I haven't seen it on the big screen. I do feel like I've missed something um, because I think so much of what makes the film great is in the sound of it. uh, And I would love to hear that kind of big and loud and bouncing around the room. But because it is not like instantly the most engaging thing, being able to relax onto your your big sofa and kind of cuddle up with it is actually really complements the experience compared to if you're in a crap cinema with bolt upright fold-out seats, I don't think would actually benefit it. So I've kind of offered two contrasting thoughts there. Let's go with the three.
3: (laughs) Helen? Yeah, so, you know, when I said like I need the event, I think the event that I need is the drive-through experience I I watched this on an iPad because I was traveling so I didn't have much choice and I'm pretty sure that is not the experience George Lucas would have uh, wanted me to experience it on I think I probably would have been a bit more engaged and a bit more sold into it if it had been kind of like a drive-through sort of immersive event where people were kind of like roller skating about and bringing me shakes and and things and Mm. kind of brought me into the world a bit I've more i've always
1: wanted to go to one of those places do they still exist where they just have the burgers on the side of the car i don't know oh, that'd be, they look great mm. I would
3: love that. but i don't have a car so this may not happen for me <laughs> um, well,
1: you go to america you hire a car this is what i'm thinking go back to 1950s sorry
3: <laughs> so yeah i think i i think i probably would have been a bit more engaged in it and a bit more into it had i seen it on something a bit bigger yeah and just to draw me in a little bit more and like you said about the soundtrack having that a bit more in stereo rather than just in in, in my earphones so i'm gonna give it a three and a half three and a half small screen
1: yeah i'm gonna give it three and a half as well i think for me i'd love to watch it at the prince charles but as a marathon with like days confused warriors maybe not fast, fast times but that kind of film I think that'd be a good kind of teen, a lazy teen film, Marathon, but apart from Warriors, which is quite high energy and frantic. <laughs> I'll think about the films that made that marathon up, but I think that, that kind of, that kind of concept would work well for me. Uh, so 3.5, Engagement score, Michael.
0: So I think this is, I'm going to give it three out of five for Engagement. And I don't want that, I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing because it does invent the sort of Hangout movie formula where you can just zone in, because that, that is sort of the, the, the rhythm of the film, is one where you are sort of driving up and down the the high street in Modesto at night and what characters are going to come around the corner next. So if you do drift away, that's almost part of the appeal of it. It doesn't, it's not, again, you're not going to miss a great twist or a foreshadowing or something if you do zone out. But uh, so I, I'll give it three, but um, that's caveated as I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Jake? Um.
2: Yeah, I, I think I can echo what michael said there i i do think like you have to be on its wavelength um i think it's the kind of film where you might be able to tell 15 minutes in whether or not you're going to go with it and if you're not kind of going with any of these characters and it's bouncing between them and this fairly sporadic structure it's going to make it harder to latch onto any of it but i do think it is is a very exciting film and you can get kind of caught up in the thrills of it and the kind of just the the heady Sound and vision that comes with it, uh, and also the fact that Richard Dreyfuss in this dresses like Richard
1: Dreyfuss. Now. <laughs> I did, how old is Richard Dreyfuss in this? Because he looks, he looked very young, but at the same time, he didn't look like. I think he just had, he had kind of. It's funny, isn't it? You can't place it. Kind of a bit it. of puppy fat. That he doesn't have. I, th- you
0: know, I think he's, he's early mid twenties, so he okay. is a good few years older than he should be because he's, he's a good few years older than Ron Howard. Sure, but he, he, yeah, he does. He doesn't. He he looks like he's just a bit old. He I think he believes he's old beyond his years. Yeah. He's an eighteen-year-old who carries himself like a twenty-five-year-old, but he happens to be a twenty-five-year-old who's pretending to be an eighteen-year-old, carrying the old <laughs> like Yeah, certainly Uh get score, Helen.
3: Yeah, I'm a I'm a three as well. I think there's moments of it where it is kind of you know people are just sort of driving around and songs are happening, and then there's you know kind of bits where things are there's a bit more action, and that's just kind of kind of the vibe really. So yeah, a three.
1: Yeah. In terms of hang- I'm straight for this one. in terms of hangout films, uh, this is one where you don't need to be paying attention, but it does pay dividends if you do. but I think i'd I'd always put this on when I'm not really looking to focus on anything too much. It's just kind of lazing on the sofa kind of vibe. So that gives an overall score of three point four five six two five
0: which is pretty decent. yeah, it's decent. Happy with that, Michael. That, that's good I, you want, I, I'm you happy your, with that where does more importantly where does that rank alongside Hard 8 Jake's first pick when he was on the Flix Watcher in the past do you remember Jake oh no
2: probably it's better Hard 8 didn't get a great reception
0: <laughs> I thought it had sorry
1: was it was it Helen and Lou that uh... yeah <laughs> that's fine all right, I've,
2: I've accepted
0: it you
1: know.
0: okay. I'll, I'll, I'll okay.
1: accept it too if you go to flixwatcher.tv slash scoreboard you can see all of the all of the scores, Hard eight, got three point two four, two five zero. So yeah, it's beaten it. He's beaten it. But out of out of all of my appearances,
2: <laughs> what is if I can get the 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 live updates if you've got it there, Kobe. What about twentieth century women and deep impact?
1: Uh twentieth century well, Deep Impact was 4.000000. And twentieth century women were four point four eight. That is that's, yeah, a
0: that's a stellar that was, score. That was that was Isn't Louisa's it? pick, though, right? That wasn't your pick, Jake. You can't take credit for that. <laughs> that was Louisa. You may have been no, in the room when the you episode. watched it, and that, that's how you got the t-shirts idea. But that's, you can't take credit. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's like
2: the um, it's like the Francis Ford Coppola credit. was in, <laughs> in the room? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I saw that. Lou, the George Lucas. But <laughs> I thought
2: that. Is like, is it
1: though? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, tell us where we can find. Tech, the book and the podcast and uh, sign off to everyone who's listening
0: yes please search for Ghibliotech uh, where, wherever you buy books we are on, we're on sale right now you could even go down to your local bookshop and see if it's on shelves there Gibliotech is spelt g-h-i-b-l-i-o-t-h-e-q-u-e and for the podcast put Gibliotech into whatever podcatcher you use we've just recently finished a great run of interviews with people who have been inspired by the work of Studio Ghibli so film filmmakers, critics, artists, including we mentioned Sony Animation up top, um Mike Riander, the director of Mitchell's he's, versus the Machines. Always great, probably Mike
1: Riander. Every, every interview I heard with him, he's super high energy and such a dude.
0: We interviewed him 5 pm on a Friday, so we were very, very drained by the long working week and he yeah. was like a shot of quadruple espresso <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> in our in our headphones. He's fantastic talking about Ghibli. But yeah, check us out wherever you get your podcasts you can also find us on twitter as well at Gibliotech. it's
1: great having that unique name isn't it someone someone had <laughs> Flexwatch on twitter we, we uh, later killed but uh, they took the password with them so we can't use it <laughs> okay. um thank you very much guys it's been amazing uh, thank you for coming back on again jake and michael you know you're welcome back anytime
3: thanks so much for coming on
1: thanks absolute pleasure yeah, thanks so much guys a real
0: pleasure
3: cheers. cheers guys bye Audio tell them Flix Watcher sent you
0: You just heard a stripped media production.